Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a big thank you to my last guest, Samantha Peshik. What a fantastic guest, and I was over the moon at how well her episode was received. If you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 199, and we have an absolutely amazing episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Joe Barksdale. Joe is a former professional football player, musician, and now a stand-up comedian. We will be discussing his college football career, his NFL career, post-NFL, and his stand-up career. This is a very raw and honest interview with a very real human being, and there is going to be some stuff covered that can be very triggering for a lot of you, so proceed with caution, including mental health, suicide, depression, etc. So let's get Joe out here, Duval Nation. Please welcome to the show calling in today from Austin, Texas, former NFL player turned stand-up comedian, Joe Barksdale. Joe, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? It is frighteningly, consistently hot. (laughs) All right, Joe, with the pandemic now coming to an end, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? Parts of it were great. I'm an introvert anyway. I think for me, the worst part of uh, COVID was what happened in my mind. It was a unique situation to where, like, I I had just retired from football to be available to do music shows, and then COVID hits, and I'm like, ah, oh, the fuck, you know, was the retirement a mistake? What's gonna happen with music now? I don't know. It was, it was a whole year of me just beating myself up and feeling like an idiot. So internally, it was difficult. Right on. So every journey has a beginning. What was it like to grow up in Detroit, Michigan? It was exciting. <laughs> I'll say that. It was, I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to say like, oh, it was cool, but 
it was educational. I'll say that growing up in Detroit was very educational from a uh, book smarts as well as a street smarts perspective. I did a lot of learning while doing as opposed to, uh, you know, the typical you learn something in the classroom and you go apply it later on. But all in all, it was educational and created, uh, if nothing else, my ability to persevere. So uh, what age did you discover you had a talent for playing football? Uh, I know what football was till I was like 15. So I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll say 16. 16? 16. 16. Actually, no, I never felt like I had a talent for playing football. And this may be because of my mental illness, but I'm as I'm thinking about it, the accolades will come in high school and I'd be like, it's only a matter of time before I get exposed. And then, you know, things will go well in college. And I'm like, oh, it's only a matter of time before. I, and it was the same with the NFL. So, yeah, I never felt like I had a talent for football, but everybody always said I did. So I never corrected them or I stopped correcting them, I guess. Hmm. So you were heavily recruited. You know, why did you choose LSU over Michigan State, Notre Dame or Ohio State? The snow. No, I mean, that, that was the <laughs> reason, you know, their seasons went longer than my high school seasons did. So I knew I'd be playing in the snow if I went to a northern school. I had a friend. In, college, in high school, my best friend. And I knew I didn't know anybody. It came down to LSU and Ohio State. I knew I didn't know anybody in Louisiana. I didn't know anybody in Ohio. I was going to be alone regardless. I was waiting to see if my friend would apply to Ohio State. She didn't. So I'm like, well, because I'll just go to LSU. I don't know anybody in Ohio. I don't know anybody in Louisiana. And I've never lived in Louisiana. So it was a combination of that. And I remember there was a teacher I had in high school that talked to us about college and she was very big on like, you know, your choice of college or, you know, that kind of thing. That'll be your last time traveling on someone else's dime. So you may want to go somewhere you've never been. So those two things. What'd you study at LSU? Pre-law. Okay. I started out in electrical engineering. Um, they told me I could get my engineering degree and that was a lie. <laughs> when classes started interfering with practice, they were like, hey, you got to you got to shut it down. But you guys told me you signed the scholarship now. We don't need to lie to you anymore. Shut it down. You know, so that's how I got to pre-law. What's your favorite memory playing for LSU? Winning. I played on number losing teams when I got drafted into the NFL. So winning just like. And not winning, like, oh, my God, I can't believe we won. But, like, expecting to win and winning. You know, as a college athlete, you know, what is it like to play on national television for the national championship and then to actually win the whole thing? I'm not the guy to ask. I was a freshman. I didn't feel like a contributing part of the team. There seems to be a pattern here. But I didn't feel like <laughs> a contributing part of the team. I don't even know where my national championship ring is. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I had Jason White, Heisman Trophy winner for Oklahoma, on the show, and he mm. talked about the pressures of the NFL Combine. What was the Combine like for you? I think I had heard so much about it um, in such a short period of time, you know, from uh, freshman year up until going to the Combine. I think I was more just curious than anything just to see what all the hype was about. I mean, it was busy. Uh, I don't know what – but uh, I don't know about – I wasn't necessarily like, I didn't feel any stress or pressure. Now, granted, I'm not as socially aware as most people. I'm not as, yeah, I'm not as socially aware as most people. Uh, I was, 
diagnosed. Um, I, I, I found out that I'm autistic just a few years ago. So I would say it makes sense. What I'm about to say makes sense. Like I was pretty much in my own world the whole time, observing things, hiding from people, doing the things that we needed to do. But I think for me, it was more, um, I, I don't know, I felt more like a tourist than an athlete participating in the combine because I was so curious about, you know, what the combine was about and trying to look around and see things. So, yeah. Okay. So talk us through your draft. What was it like? Painful. You know, you, uh, you're sitting there looking at the TV, seeing all these players get picked before you. And with every player that gets called, it's just like, you ain't shit. Not, not the player that's called me myself. Like this is more evidence that like, you know, you ain't shit. And why would a team want to draft you anyway? So for me, it was painful, excruciatingly painful. I mean, I, I believe that human beings, like our worst fear is finding out that we're like insignificant or like that we don't matter. And I came face to, I was face to face with that fear on draft day. I felt like I was insignificant. It didn't matter. So. Hmm. What are some of the, now uh, this is a good question is, you know, what are some of the key differences between college and the NFL besides the financial aspect of the business? Uh, so I, I can't speak to college now because, you know, the NIL thing wasn't happening right. then. Yeah. But I would say it was like more passion in college. Whereas the NFL, it felt like a job, you know, like even the wins felt hollow for that reason. Mm. Yeah. Like, it, you know, I mean, it's the difference between, you just said it, between getting paid to do something and not getting paid to do something. You're not getting paid to do it. It's a little bit more fun. It's a little less stressful, you know, whereas in the NFL, you stepping on the field and you, your descendants, everyone in your immediate family, like everyone is, you got so many people on your back mentally not like everyone's there at the same time but you're thinking about that like i need to support these people if i don't support these people we're going to starve to death and die the only way i can support these people is to be is to have a really good game you know my entire future depends on what happens during these next 60 minutes that's what the nfl felt like hmm. favorite memories playing for the chargers San Diego was a cool city. <laughs> <laughs> I lived there for five years. I know San Diego is a cool place. Yeah, San Diego is a cool city. I mean, all my favorite, none of my favorite memories are football related. I mean, they're not, they didn't happen in the football office. Like I got to visit the Fender factory, got to develop a relationship with uh, some, you know, some cats up at Fender, which was great, you know, but that kind of thing, you know, cool people that I met in and around the city. But I mean, nah, you know, when I was there, we were terrible. Like we were god awful and we i mean to the point that like fans would get brave like i remember one time i i went grocery shopping with my wife and this dude just walks up like you know well that's, that's fucked up that y'all are leaving bro i didn't i didn't one i didn't vote for the team i mean i didn't vote for the team but, you know i don't have any say in this and two if i was a stranger that could have had a gun on him would you walk up on me like that you know yeah yeah, I, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So, this is an interesting question. You know, injuries are a nightmare of any athlete. After all these years, you know, later, do you have any lingering effects from your NFL injuries? Yeah. Short answer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, Duval Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Joe Barksdale. Mr. Just you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know, that's right, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. This is Country Boy for One My Black History. And if you listen to my podcast, this is some of the things that you will enjoy. The term Jim Crow derives from early 19th century minstrel shows. It was a popular form of entertainment, which is the predecessor to vaudeville. The shows consisted of a primarily white song and dance performer crudely mimicking African-Americans for the enjoyment of white audiences. One of the earliest and most famous was Thomas Daddy Rice, who devised a strutting, dancing character supposedly mimicking a prancing crow, and the character became known as Jim Crow. And if this is the type of content that you enjoy, you can find more content like this at OneMikeHistory.com. Hello, Duvall Nation. Derek Duvall here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours, too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. This is Marielle Sanji, the author of The Absinthe Frappe from LSU Press. Have you ever wondered about the mysteries of absinthe? The spirit is packed with history, and in my book, I explore the myths and facts behind this elusive liquor. What is it about absinthe that appealed to artists like Vincent van Gogh? How did the absinthe frappe cocktail take the country by storm in the 19th century? Why was absinthe banned? And how were the restrictions on absinthe lifted? Dive into the world of absinthe in the Absinthe Frappe, available wherever you prefer to buy your books. Hey there, this is Frankie Ray, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. My latest single, Over Now, is available on all streaming platforms. Hope you like it. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? 
Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. This is Chad from The Shame. We're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find our stuff at theshameshop.com or listen to it on almost all the streaming services. We'll see you down the pub. Cheers. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duval Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. Hello everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 199 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with former NFL player turned stand-up comedian, Joe Barksdale. Your NFL career comes to an end. What sort of emotions do you go through? Disappointment. I always thought that I would have at least, and I, I don't know, that I would have gone to the playoffs, that I would have had a win, been on the team with a winning season, and that, you know, that kind of thing. Disappointment. Hmm. Disappointment and sadness. Not sadness from leaving football, but 
sadness from the from the residual effects of you know playing games and getting your body beat up just to lose and disrespectful fans and, and, and do you still watch the game? I never did. No. Don't want like to. outside of film. I would watch film, but uh obviously, you know, when I was playing, it was my job. I don't know anybody that's um well, I can't say that because but I my thoughts were, you know, it's my job. I wasn't very passionate about watching it. One, because usually there'd be a team that would win. I'd be jealous of whoever that was. And then two, there were just other things I wanted to do. So it's not like, oh, I hate football, but it was never watching football, watching sports in general has never been a priority of mine. So after the NFL, you did a venture into music, and after music came to an end, you did a venture into stand-up comedy. Talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit. Comedy has shown the way I feel about comedy. I now understand how most people that I play with felt about football, feel about football, felt about football. I know what it's like now to love something so much that you do it for free, you know, that you'd uh, do whatever you had to do to get better, go through whatever you have to go through, brave whatever, what, whatever, uh, you know, storms. My music was, music was cool in that, yes, it was a method of self-expression and there was art and that kind of thing, but it had to rhyme and you had to be in key and your guitar had to be in tune and it had to be catchy. And it had, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas with comedy, I just get to be me. It doesn't have to rhyme. I don't have to be in key. There's no band. Um, I feel like I actually make a connection with people. These days, it's like the only, being on stage is the only time that I don't feel like a mistake that God made. Yeah. So. That's deep. Yeah. 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 Where do you draw your humor from? I don't know. I've always been funny. <laughs> so I think the hardest part for me was just being comfortable being myself, realizing like it's more than good enough. It's what makes you different than everybody else. So, yeah, it's. I, but pretty much everywhere, uh, everyday life in my head, the stories about things that have happened in the past. Shit, processing being on such bad teams. Um, <laughs> so basically, yeah. like you, you just tell like 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 uh, anecdotes and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, I would consider myself a storyteller. Okay. All right. What are some of the comedians you look up to? Richard Pryor, uh, John Mulaney, Bill Burr. I think Bill Burr is the greatest living stand-up comedian right now in the U.S. Roy Wood Jr. Dion Cole, Ali Sadiq. Yeah. yeah. I've met Dion Cole. He is a absolutely one of the nicest people I've ever met. He seems like it. That's cool. Yeah, he is. He's a real nice guy. I met him when he was touring with uh, Conan O'Brien, and he was just the nicest oh, dude. So, yeah. All right. So, Pierre de Coupetan said the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. You get a chance to talk to your younger self. What do you say to him? Nothing. Hmm. No, I don't. I'm a I'm a big believer in things happening the way they're supposed to, kind of thing. And I wouldn't say anything for that reason because I don't know how whatever I say would influence my future. Yes, it could be positive, but science fiction shows us 
most of the time it's negative. <laughs> but, but uh yeah, so for that reason, like I Okay. I don't know. And that's a better answer than I used to have. Ten years ago, somebody asked me that. And I'm like, what would you say to yourself? I'd probably shoot that kid in the head. <laughs> Just be done. Like <laughs> the sweet really. What's your name? Dr. Kaborki. <laughs> but now I would just hide somewhere and hope no one saw me for that reason. You know, you, you don't know how that affects the future or anything like that. So, right. All right. So what's next for Joe? Probably going back in time and meeting that kid. Now I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> I'm recording my comedy special, uh, October 20th in downtown Austin. You know, I mean, after that, the year is pretty much over, but What's next would probably be putting together some kind of tour to promote to promoting the uh, to promote the special, um, as well as start working on the next special. You know how that goes. I oh, I'm in the process of studying for the uh, GRE so that I can go to grad school, taking advantage of the NFL's player tuition reimbursement. Why not? So I'm going to seminary school. Dallas, uh, I'm going to Dallas Theological Seminary to uh, study apologetics and evangelism okay that's awesome he's like, so it's, it's like a random guy but yeah nah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> all right so as we enter the final phase of the interview i always like to ask one fun question joe like what do you like to do for fun how do you like to relax i don't like to relax um it's funny i was just thinking about this when i was working out about two hours ago i don't like taking vacations i don't like taking breaks once again, I'm sure that is rooted in, in my mental illness, but I don't feel like I deserve to relax. So I don't. And some days I will say, like, I am clinically depressed. So on some days when I do, like, oh, you know what? I am going to relax. I'll remind myself. Remember three months ago, that Wednesday, when you couldn't get out to bed and you just stayed in there till 6 p.m., you're lazy, and then, then, then there's no relaxation after that. So, but I don't like it. I don't like sitting around doing nothing. Like I I don't. And I I do take one day a week, you know, um, you know, as a rest day. But I don't like not working. I don't know how else to say it. I don't like no, not working. No, it's fine. All right. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Um, you guys can follow me on Instagram. That's where I post the most and the most consistently. Uh, J-B-D-A-L-E-7-2. Um, when the special comes out, I'll, you know, I'm, actually, yeah, everything goes through Instagram. So that, yeah, Instagram. Okay. All right, Joe, I am my interviews with my favorite question. The question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? Stop overreacting to people with mental health issues. The reason that people kill themselves and don't call anybody before they kill themselves is because they never have the opportunity to have a casual conversation, a casual conversation about suicide. But you know, like that, they don't have anybody to talk to because the moment they run around, like me, I can't, I can't say I'm sad without 13 people in the vicinity. Are you about to kill yourself? Oh my God, what's going on? I don't like it. It's almost like the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction I would like the country to just go back. I mean, I'd like the world to just go back to ignoring mental health. Cause like now it's just fucking annoying. Like I said, you can't even have bad days without people thinking that you are about to go shoot yourself and 15 other people. And you know, it's, it's frustrating. 
you know? Um, I don't know how else to say that. And two, it's also a sign of like people's overinflated views of themselves. You know, like this person said, I'm the only person that can stop them from committing suicide. And it's like, how do you, how do we know that it's not just sad and need some time or some space? Like, I don't even like, I don't remember the last time I told somebody how I feel for that reason. And I'm talking about like this year, like this entire year, I can't think of a time that I was like honest with someone about how I feel for that reason. Cause it just leads, I don't know, like, it's to the point now with people where it's like, you know, no, I wasn't thinking about killing myself until this interaction. And now I am, you know, so I, we got to, we, we got to chill on that. Like that's, it's doing way more harm than good. All right. Joe, you are one of the most real people I think I've ever had on this show. So thank you for giving the most honest answers. I think I've ever have, may have ever gotten on this show. So so thank you for coming on the show, man. Well, thank you for having me. Honesty is the one thing I'm good at. So yeah, I, I definitely picked up on that. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show, man. It's been really cool. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty sure you're going to have to put up like 30 trigger warnings before this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 199. I want to thank Joe for taking the time to come on the show and speak with me. What a very real human being, and I want to thank him for his raw honesty. Joe, my friend, you are welcome back on my show anytime. Okay, as I just mentioned, this is episode 199. That means we are coming up on the big 200, and boy, do I have a surprise in store for you, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop on Monday. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. And with everything with our logo on it, including magnet stickers and mugs, plus we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, thanks for being on this journey for the last 100 episodes. We have had some stellar guests, including our first astronaut. I don't know what the next 100 guests will be, but I promise you this, I won't let the content suffer. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.